Using an overpriced trash bag. Pricey, pricey, pricey. A bag that breaks. Wimpy, wimpy, wimpy. Or a smelly bag. Stinky, stinky, stinky. You gotta snag Hefty's Ultra Strong Trash Bag. Always at an ultra low price. Hefty, hefty, hefty. It has Arm & Hammer odor control, so your nose and your wallet will be... Happy, happy, happy. Hefty Ultra Strong Trash Bags. Hefty Strong, all day long. Hefty, hefty, hefty. Introducing the SD Podcast channel, your one stop source for all types of podcasts. We are always on the look for new podcasts to join our channel. If there is any topic you would like to discuss, contact us now. We could be reached on all social media such as Facebook, Twitter, and or Instagram. You can also contact us by email or leave us a voicemail at 516-570-9248. So make sure to contact us now so you can start your podcast soon. And now, a beauty production presents the most awesome podcast to ever embrace a pair of headphones, Sarasso and the Beard. And now, here are your hosts, Nick Sarasso and Jose the Talking Beard Rivera. And welcome to Sarasso and the Beard Podcast, episode 27. I am Nick Sarasso. And I'm the Talking Beard, Jose Rivera. Jose, it, it, we picked the time to do the podcast exactly right. It's playoff time in the NBA. The MLB season has begun. It, Ready kicked off with a couple fights as well, but we're going to start with the NBA, a little bit of the playoffs, but before that, you know, last season, the regular season didn't seem that exciting, didn't have any flair to it. We all figured it was just going to be Warriors-Cavs in the finals and was just waiting for that to happen and going through the entire 82-game season, but this year... You know, the regular season seemed a lot more intense, a lot more interesting, especially that last day with all these teams fighting for playoff spots. So was this regular season a lot better for you? In my opinion, 100% yes. Um, last year, like you said, we just wanted to fast forward to the finals and watch the Warriors and Cavaliers do battle against each other again. But this year, it didn't feel that way. And granted, I still don't think the Cavaliers and the Warriors played at 100% this year. I think, you know, I think they laid off a little bit. I think they, but I think both teams are still saving their energy for when the playoffs to start. You know, LeBron doesn't care if he enters as the first seed or the eighth seed. He knows he's going to be in the playoffs, right? Same thing for the Warriors. I don't think the Warriors care if they have the number one seed, but they just want to be healthy going into the playoffs. Um, so I still think we haven't seen the best form of the Cavaliers and the Warriors. But overall, what a great season it's been, in my opinion, honestly. You saw a lot of teams step up this year. The Trailblazers, who were the eighth seed last year, ended up sealing the third seed this year. You see, all you saw a lot of rookies step up for their younger teams this year, like Donovan Mitchell for the Utah Jazz. You know, you saw a lot of people come together in new suit and new super teams, like in Oklahoma City. You saw Carmelo Anthony, Paul George, Russell Westbrook come together, and you saw them struggle to kind of mesh and you know and be coherent with each other. But at the end, they ended up figuring it out just in time to make the playoff spot. You had teams like Minnesota getting in, Philadelphia. You know, Indiana bouncing back. So it's been a lot of parity in the league this year. And you saw a lot of teams who didn't necessarily have a chance last year have a chance this year. I think injuries did play a big part of that because, again, when guys go down on certain teams, all of a sudden the Spurs go from, what, being a second three seed all the way down to a seventh seed without Kawhi Leonard this year. So I think a lot of injuries help teams get back into it. But also you got to give credit to some of these teams. They built themselves up in the offseason. They do battle throughout the year. And I think a lot of teams deserve a lot of credit for bouncing back this year. And it feels like it's been a more competitive season. Now, how does that translate into the playoffs? I don't know. But I think in terms of a regular season, we definitely did see a better season than last year. Yeah, no, no question about it. Just a much more entertaining season. Unfortunately, like you said, Kawhi Leonard's injury hurt the Spurs a lot. Uh, 
made some a little bit irrelevant for some parts of the regular season. DeMarcus Cousins, you feel the same way about, but overall, just constant stories from all different teams that we had. On the Lakers side, a competitive edge for them with Lonzo Ball. You have the midst of Philadelphia finally playing well and seeing Ben Simmons uh, after he was missing all of last year. I I think the NBA fans got way more of a treat and way more than we could ever ask for when you consider the fact of how predictable the last season was to go from that to now it was very close you had that play-in game between Denver and Minnesota to finish it out like you said from from the fourth seed to the seventh seed all had the same record in the Western Conference one game separated just a difference in the eighth seed only two games overall uh, just a much com- more competitive season and then you still had teams like Houston that plays extremely well and gives you that debate of can they be the one team to stop Golden State? Golden State becomes pretty injured at some points and looks human again. So, uh, you know, overall, a great year I think the NBA had uh, for a regular season-wise and a much better regular season than I think any fans could have expected. And a bonus, LeBron James played all 82 games. First time I think he did that in his entire career. So that's always even a more beneficial for a regular uh, season when you're talking about the best player in your league is playing every single game. Uh, you know, unfortunately, there's still some bad parts when it comes to the regular season. Still some bad parts when it comes to just teams in general. And when we're referring to that, we're always talking about the New York Knicks. And they quickly fired Jeff Hornacek after the season ended. And two years combined for 60 and 104, two losing seasons. Uh, Jose, real simple, was this the right move? And you know, we can play what head coach do you think is going to be named, but I don't want to do that one. I want to really ask you, do you think the Knicks sign a head coach before LeBron James chooses a team, or could they like use this as maybe a little leverage and say, hey, LeBron, you could pick the head coach if you want to play in New York? Well, first things first, at least the Knicks make it onto our podcast. The other team in New York, <laughs> the lonely Brooklyn Nets, can't even get mentioned on there. I think this is the first time we mentioned them all year, so congrats, Brooklyn. Here's your mention on the podcast. But no, for the Knicks, I mean, I think we all saw this coming. You know, you heard it in a regular season. Joking Noah got into a shoving match with Jeff Hornacek. You know, and just, you know, there was nothing going on with the Knicks this year. They had a chance to be an eighth seed this year. I really think they did. Um, but then Porzingis got hurt, and then it went all downhill from there. Um, overall, the Knicks did have some bright spots. I thought Michael Beasley played extremely well. You know, a guy who's been, you know, kind of on the back burner and forgotten about over the past couple of years. He comes back this year, and he plays phenomenal for the Knicks. Trey Burke was a good little 10-day signing. Ended up turning into something special at the end of the year. Frank Nittalakina, you know, he played better towards the end of the year, too. So there were some bright spots there for the Knicks, too. Cantor played really well when he was healthy. But we all saw this coming. I think Hornacek was definitely going to get fired, especially when you factor in that Hornacek was hired by Phil Jackson. So, you know, with the Knicks moving forward out of the Phil Jackson era, they're going to want to bring their own guy in there. And I don't think, even though Jeff Hornacek didn't want to teach the triangle either exactly, I still think whoever's next in line, the GM, is going to want to choose their guy to bring in here and just try and get a fresh start with this New York Knicks team and start from scratch, which is not a bad idea um, when it's all said and done. Do you feel bad for Hornacek a little bit? Yeah, because it's not exactly like he had all the talent in the world to work with. But at the end of the day, I think it's the right move just to move forward. Like you said, when you have free agents looming, you want that fresh start of saying, okay, this is a new voice in here, so we can attract free agents, instead of trying to attract free agents into a losing culture. A lot of names bouncing around for who the Knicks choose. 
Mark Jackson, former coach of the Warriors, who I think doesn't give enough credit for how good the Warriors are now, too. Steve Kerr loves to give Mark Jackson credit, too, for the team that he had built before Steve Kerr got there. I think Mark Jackson could be a good fit for a head coach. Um, you're hearing a lot of rumors about David Blatt, who I thought did pretty well for the Cleveland Cavaliers before LeBron got there and forced him out of town. You're even hearing rumors of Jay Wright from Villanova. Um, but I really think that's a long shot, even though if I'm the Knicks, that's the guy who I would go after. Um, I think it's a long shot to get that guy to go from a winning program like Villanova to a team like the Knicks that still have a lot of work to do before they want to be a contending team, in my opinion, for a championship, not only just an eighth seed. Um, but like you said, going back to the LeBron James thing, that's an interesting point because I didn't even think about that until you mentioned it to me. You know, I don't consider the Knicks to be on LeBron's list only because LeBron in New York has clashed so many times, whether it's through the media, Phil Jackson, the spat that he got into it and his cancer. I just don't think LeBron wants to be in New York. And you know what? It's funny to say that because LeBron's a superstar, right? LeBron's larger than life. He's hands down the best player in the NBA right now. So why wouldn't a guy like that, when it comes to one of the grandest stages of them all in New York, play in the world's famous arena in Madison Square Garden and literally be the king of New York and the king of the league and instantly make the Knicks a lot better? I just don't think LeBron wants to do it. You can point to all the media standpoints. Although I think LeBron can easily handle the New York media, maybe he just doesn't want to, and all the headaches that come with New York, or maybe he just doesn't think New York's prepared to make a playoff run, and other teams are. To me, if I'm the Knicks, they, you know what, that's probably a good strategy, that's probably what they're doing to try and convince LeBron to come here, but guess what, LeBron's not going to come here. So if I'm the Knicks, hire a head coach, because you're going to be wasting your time watching other teams hire head coaches, because today, or the Orlando Magic fired their head coach. And a couple other firings are going to be coming soon, too. So if I'm the Knicks, I'm not wasting time. I'm grabbing the guy I want. Don't worry about LeBron James wanting to come here because LeBron James is not coming to New York. Yeah, as much as I agree with you there, I don't think LeBron is going to be going to New York. I don't think any team is going to try and say, hey, we're out of the, uh, the realm. Because if you can make a good enough case and you can show a good enough future and the Knicks do have Porzingis. They do have still a top ten pick on the the worst end. On that way, uh, helps when you you know win your games when you're supposed to lose. Uh, that's the Knicks for you. Uh, overall, though, I don't think the Knicks are going to jump onto whichever way they want to go and be the first team to sign a head coach. I think they want to play a little bit more of a slow game. I don't think they're going out there immediately and going to sign a head coach. I, I think they're interested in what LeBron chooses. Because it is still New York, and although LeBron brings the equivalent of wherever he goes of a New York media, it's still New York at the end of the day. And it's nothing like Miami or Cleveland or or any of the teams that he could be considering other than Los Angeles. So it still gives you the benefit of the doubt that maybe the Knicks won't choose a head coach till LeBron pits a team. But that certainly could be a while from now, and there's still going to be a lot of question marks for whatever coach wants to go to the Knicks. You still don't know what you get from Porzingis right now coming back from injury. Overall, you don't know what per, uh, what route you'll take with a later pick in the first round of that top 10. So a lot of question marks, as always, when it comes to the New York Knicks, and a further one continues one day into the uh, what will be considered the offseason already for the Knicks right when the playoffs begin. On the flip side of another superstar, Russell Westbrook recorded 20 rebounds in his final game to finish the season with 25 points, 10 assists, and 10.1 rebounds for his second straight triple-double 
season to average. Only player to do it back-to-back seasons. Only player to have two of these seasons of triple-double stats. Should we be making a big deal about this? Well, the answer to that is not so... To me, it's not so clearly. I mean, it's yes and no, really. Because yes, because it's a phenomenal accomplishment. I mean, like you said, he's the only guy to do that. And for a reason, too. I mean, and then on top of that, he's a point guard. You know, point guards are not supposed to be rebounding the ball 10, 10 times a game. That's the center's job. You know, that's the way we look at it sometimes. So I think Russell Westbrook does deserve credit. He put another phenomenal season in which he averaged a triple-double. But we also shouldn't be talking about this because guess what? The Oklahoma City Thunder, they didn't clinch a playoff spot until the 81st game of the season. There's 82 games in a season, Nick, and they couldn't clinch a spot until the 81st. The Oklahoma City Thunder has had a lot of problems this year with trying to mesh together. It seems like they got a good thing going now. Maybe they're all on the same page because the playoffs are right around the corner. But I'm sorry, it took way too long for this team chemistry-wise to come together, basketball-style-wise to come together and try and win ball games. When I look at the Oklahoma City Thunder, I'm surprised they're even the fourth seed right now um, in, the, in the Western Conference because they've been playing a lot like a sixth, seventh seed all year long. At one point, they were the seventh or eighth seed and were able to work their way up, especially because the Utah Jazz lost last night to the Portland Trailblazers. And because of tie breaks, Oklahoma City was able to grab the fourth spot. I mean, if Utah wouldn't have lost yesterday the Thunder could have been a seventh seed and they would have been taking on Golden State in the first round. So for the Thunder, a lot of things had to break their way just to get out of a first-round matchup with the Golden State Warriors. So, yes, it's an impressive accomplishment. Congrats to Russell Westbrook. Again, only only player to ever do that. So, yes, it's phenomenal. But at the same time, there's too many you know dark circles around Oklahoma City Thunder, too many dark clouds covering their head for me to be like, whoa, let's celebrate this and pop bottles of champagne, honestly. If you did a blind resume six months ago before the season starts pretty much and you look at where the western conference standings are your first reaction would be okay probably warriors and rockets are one and two you got a 50 50 percent chance of getting that right but your second reaction should be where are the thunder because everyone's so close how is the thunder that contains a team with a star in russell westbrook an all-star in Paul George, and a future Hall of Famer in Carmelo Anthony, not further up on this list in a game separation between all these teams. And like you said, they could never separate themselves. For, for a player accomplishment, great job, Russell Westbrook. Uh, it's, it's a huge accomplishment. It's never been done. Bat-to-bat seasons of triple-double stats. I, I think, in a way, it, it's a great single-player accomplishment, but I think it should weaken how much we value triple-doubles because last season he did record a triple-double and he was the MVP. This year he's not even in discussion and he's got a triple-double season. So it's it's counterproductive on that part. And this is a Thunder team that overall I think didn't uh, live up to expectations. So when you're the star of the team, you're putting up the numbers, you're putting up the stats – but your team doesn't live up to expectations. That's not even beneficial in and of itself. And uh, the Thunder, I think, went 20-5 and five when Russell Westbrook recorded a triple-double. What happens the rest of the season? So it, it, it's, it's a great single-player accomplishment, but when you consider the entire Thunder team, they didn't live up to expectations. And most likely Westbrook's going to finish, what, third or fourth on MVP, but Jose, who do you have as your MVP? My MVP of the league is going to be James Harden. Um, you know, I, I 
thought he should have won it last year. I know a lot of people are going to disagree with me because a lot of people like to chose Russell Westbrook last year. But when you look at it, James Harden means so much to Houston Rockets. And when I look at most valuable player, again, I often have this debate of do I give it to the top player in the league or do I give it to the person that was the most valuable to their team? And in this scenario, I think James Harden is both. I think James Harden is a big reason why the Rockets made the play- not made the playoffs this year, but finished as the one seed. I think, yes, Chris Paul coming in definitely helped James Harden relax and not have to feel like he has to do it all himself anymore because last year he literally was the point guard plus the scoring machine for the Rockets. So it did allow James Harden just to focus on scoring this year. But James Harden has done some phenomenal things on the basketball court when it comes to the regular season. And I think if Houston didn't have James Harden, if they just had Chris Paul, it would not be the same right now. So in my opinion, you know, last year you saw Houston without Chris Paul. They were still a third seed, second seed. And yes, they choked in the playoffs or whatever. But in terms of the regular season, they were still there. They had that firepower. You know, James Harden assisted or scored so many of their points last year. Similar numbers this year. I understand some people are going to vote for LeBron James. I understand some people are going to push their vote elsewhere as well, too. But when it comes to the most valuable player, it's James Harden for the Houston Rockets. Because the Houston Rockets are not the one seed without James Harden. They don't stand a chance against Golden State without James Harden. And really, the Houston Rockets live and die on how well does James Harden play. Now, most valuable player every year should be considered LeBron James. Most valuable to your team, LeBron James. And look, and I get it. LeBron probably is not going to win the MVP. And that's because Houston won 65 games, going 65 and 17, finished with the best record in the NBA, the best franchise record for the Houston Rockets, and the Cavs finished fourth in the Eastern Conference at 50 and 32. And that's pretty much going to seal the debate. Harden had 30 points per game. He played 10 less games than LeBron. LeBron finished with more points in the, in the season than Harden. He had more assists LeBron, more rebounds LeBron. And when you really look at it, LeBron is third in points on the year, third in assists on the season, and third most rebounds for a non-center. He's 20th when you consider his eight-point sits against all centers, but when he's just third, going up against Russell Westbrook and Giannis. And then there's LeBron at eight-point sits. So he's top three in all of his stats when you take out the centers for the rebounds because that's just primarily going to be centers on that part. Every number, LeBron matches James Harden or is better, except probably free throw percentage. That's it. Uh, Three-point percentage there, I think, exactly the same at 36.7. So there's nothing that really shows that Harden was the better player, especially when Harden plays 10 less games than LeBron. So, like, you take the last game that he plays. Okay, LeBron has 27.5 points and all these other numbers. He played 10 minutes, finished with exactly 10 points to keep that 10-point streak alive against... Uh, as he's trying to keep raising it against Michael Jordan's number that he just passed recently. Uh, but obviously, his stats are going to dwindle from a game just like that, and they're still better than James Harden's numbers. So I'm not going to say that uh, Harden is well-deserving of it, right? Especially when you consider the team that he had, the better players he had, and the best record in the league. But if you're just looking at that, I, I, you're going to give it to James Harden. If you're looking at all around, when you go through stat by stat, it's LeBron James. And it's probably LeBron James every single year. But 
I, I wouldn't be surprised, and it shouldn't come as a surprise when James Harden wins it, though. Uh, I want to start with the Eastern Conference, so why don't we go 1-8? and eight? Uh, The Toronto Raptors are playing the Washington Wizards. A season split, these two teams split it 2-2. Two to two. The Raptors with the best are tied with the best home record at 34-7. and seven. Uh, The Wizards were able to beat the Raptors on the road back in November as one of that s- seven losses the Raptors had at home. But, Jose, who do you have coming out in this series in the first round? Well, give a lot of credit to the Toronto Raptors. They were able to actually grab the first seed. Um, you know, DeMar DeRozan has played like the team's MVP. I wouldn't be surprised if he gets some votes as well, too, for the most valuable player. Um, he's played phenomenal this year. Kyle Lowry played phenomenal when healthy. Um, I know he's had some some back issues and some injury issues. And really, I think, you know, you're looking at Dwayne Casey, who might be the coach of the year. Um, he's in the running for the coach of the year, for sure, when it comes to the Toronto Raptors. Um, and they've played phenomenal. But there's just one thing, Nick, that I can't trust the Raptors with, and that's you know, performing in the playoffs. For years, you know, the Raptors have been the third seed or the fourth seed, and they always find a way to choke when it matters the most. I think a lot of pressure is on them right now since they are the first seed, right? And, you know, everybody keeps saying all year long, oh, this could be the year that they take down the Cavaliers. You know, they're playing so well right now. Does Cleveland finally have competition in the East with Toronto, especially with Boston having injury issues? And I feel like that hype train that we saw – in the beginning of what, January, February was it? And then the Cavaliers went into Toronto and the Cavaliers still knocked them down a peg saying they're not ready yet, basically. I think that hype train is going to come back and it's going to get to the Toronto Raptors. And this might shock a lot of people, but right off the gate, I'm giving an upset special. I have the eight-seeded Washington Wizards taking down the Toronto Raptors. Really, the Wizards have not played like the Wizards all year long. The Wizards should be higher up in the season. John Wall has been out for practically almost the entire year. Now John Wall is healthy. And remember, the Wizards have been begging begging to play the Cavaliers in the playoffs since last year. They never got to. And ideally, whoever wins this matchup could face the uh, the Cavaliers next in the next round should they advance. But you give me the Wizards over the Raptors until the Raptors can prove to me that they could perform in the big time and actually win a playoff series when it matters the most. Um, I'm going to give it to the home, uh, the Raptors. You know, you're talking about already, if, even if it goes to seven-game series, Four games the Toronto Raptors are going to have at home, and they just dominated home all year. Now, big fan of DeMar DeRozan, Lowry, like you said, uh, they haven't really played that great these last ten games, so I, I could definitely understand your upset pick here. Uh, but it's really tough for me to choose an eight uh, over a one. Uh, I'm just going to go with the safe one. I got the Raptors in, a five, uh, in five games, and just the ability to have more home games – Toronto should easily have this series against the Washington Wizards. Uh, with the two-seeded Boston Celtics, I mean, this is unfortunate. Really, when you consider a team that's been as injured as they are, no Ty- uh, Tyree Irving, Gordon Hayward from day one injured. Uh, they have other injuries constantly, and that's been their real issue for the last couple of months. And w- really drawing a tough matchup when you consider – uh, Milwaukee Bucks and the one star in this series is going to be Giannis. Uh, Jose, can the Celtics advance to the second round? It's like you said, it is unfortunate because you know they lose Gordon Hayward on the first day of the year, right? They're, they're big signing after trading for Kyrie Irving, or you know they got Kyrie Irving after they signed Gordon Hayward. But either way, they bring in Gordon Hayward, he gets hurt on the first day of the year, he's done for the year. Kyrie Irving now needs knee surgery; he's going to miss the entire playoffs, which 
we never really got to talk about, but it is the right move, in my opinion. And you know me, Nick. Usually I'm a guy that says, no, you know, you got to go out there and risk it and come on and get the playoff spot. But in all seriousness, this is the right move for Kyrie Irving to miss the entire playoffs and go and get knee surgery as well, too, especially when you're looking at next year. It's not like the Celtics are not going to have a chance next year because you're going to get a fully healthy Kyrie Irving and a fully healthy Gordon Hayward back thrown into the mix with Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum, who's been a stud all year long, who's probably not going to get Rookie of the Year because of the other two guys that are outshining him. That's going to be a scary squad to contend with next year. But next year is next year. For the Celtics, though, you know, they're kind of lucky because before the Heat won last night, the Heat were the seventh seed. And I honestly could see the Heat beating the Boston Celtics in the first round because of the fact that Irving is not there. And even though the Celtics are still a good team, this is a different team when Kyrie Irving's not on the court. And, you know, and give Jalen Brown a lot of credit. He stepped up. Give Jason Tatum a lot of credit. He stepped up as well. But this team is just not as good when their leader is not on the floor, and that's Kyrie Irving. However, since the Bucks fell to the seventh seed yesterday with the Miami's win, I think the Celtics have a shot to get out of the first round. Can I see the Bucks beating the Celtics? Definitely. But I could also see the Celtics beating the Bucks. I think the Celtics are a little more favored in this matchup against the Bucks than they would have been against the Miami Heat. So give me the Celtics over the Bucks. Although I do think it takes a while for the Celtics. If Irving's healthy, I think this series is over in five. But because Irving is not in the court, I could see this series going six or seven games. But still, with the Celtics coming out on top, the Bucks are not the greatest of road teams. Uh, Boston would easily have to start off taking. Game one to begin with in this series to give themselves some confidence that, hey, we can get through this. But, I mean, how many times in the NBA did we talk about a two seed being the underdog? And that's clear as day in this series. Uh, For me, you know, the better star is Giannis. Probably the three best players on the court are going to be playing for Milwaukee in Bledsoe, in Middleton, and Giannis. Uh, It does not favor Boston. And I think this would have been a tough series for Boston, even with Kyrie Irving. I think at that point, obviously, Boston's more of a favorite. But this is going to be real tough to see Boston getting out of the first round against the Milwaukee Bucks. I don't think whichever team they draw, whether it would have been Miami or Milwaukee, it doesn't favor Boston at the end of the day. Even Washington, we're getting John Wall back. This is really... Boston had a great year. For a while, we were really looking at this team as, hey, they could seriously contend even without Gordon Hayward, but you just lose too many players, and there's nothing you can do about that. And it goes to the same as like the Warriors. Had the Warriors not, uh, without Curry, without uh, Durant, without Clay Thompson, there's just nothing you can do at that point. And for Boston, I don't think there's enough. I will be surprised if Boston gets out of the first round. And I think that will look really bad on guys like Giannis, guys like Middleton, when you're the better players on the court, when you have a little bit more experience, when you are the one star in the game and you can't get it done. I think the pressure is going to be on Milwaukee as a seventh seed because they should be considered the favorite in this series to get to the second round. I, to me, it's it's tough. It's It's unfortunate for the Celtics, but it's something to look forward to next season. Uh, when this team gets fully healthy. The 76ers are an interesting team because it seems like they've had a lot more of a fan push and even guys on like Sports Center are picking the 76ers going all the way to the Eastern Conference. They play the Miami Heat in the first round and that's not an easy matchup for them. And I believe they're going to be without Joel Embiid for the entire first round. 
So, Jose, can you see the Sixers making a deep run into the playoffs? Well, I mean, you're talking about a team that's riding a 16-game win streak into the playoffs. So, you know, and, and like you said, it's not their most favorable matchup. Again, with Miami's win yesterday, um, if Miami would have lost, you're looking at the Sixers against the Bucks. in which case I clearly would pick the Sixers even without Joel Embiid. But now that they're facing Miami, again, this is going to be another series. It's going to be very close. I can see it going six or seven games as well, too. But I'm still going to take the Sixers. I think this team is young. They're red hot. They're motivated. They're hungry. You know, this is a team that still was supposed to be a year away, even with drafting Markel Fultz this year. You know, ideally, I don't think anybody had them making the playoffs, especially not as a third seed. I know at the beginning of the year, I pictured them as a seventh, maybe an eighth seed, you know, but trusting the process helps. And Ben Simmons' phenomenal year helps as well, too. I think even without Embiid, <clears throat> you know, you're still going to have Ben Simmons on the court. Markel Fultz is playing well ever since he came back from that weird injury he had. Um, J.J. Redick is hot now, too. This team is just so young. They're so well put together. And I think they're really feeding off each other, too. And this team is deeper than Joel Embiid. Um, and I think people forget that, too, when it comes to Ben Simmons, you know, Robert Covington. This team has a lot of weapons. Um, for the Miami Heat, they've been playing very, very well ever since Dwayne Wade came back. I do like this team as well. Drajic is there. So this is a series that can go either way, but I'm still going to take the six series um, just because they're red hot right now. And you you, you got to ride the hot hand when, sometimes when it comes to the playoffs. Yeah, I, I like the Sixers in this one. It's one of those lucky moments where the Sixers have a lot of things that they can avoid. They, they don't have to play the Cavs. They don't have to play the Raptors. Uh, if they get past the Heat, you're looking at either Boston or Milwaukee. Both of those teams I think the Sixers are better than. And for a little while, it could have been Boston. Uh, as a team that surpasses Milwaukee, and then you're talking about a very injured team in the second round. So I think a lot of people should be looking at the Sixers as that team that can get to the Eastern Conference uh, Championship, only because of the fact that it's it's a very easy ride to get there. Uh, this is going to be the tough matchup for them. I think they have a better chance in the second round if they're able to get there. Miami, I mean, I'm a, I'm a point spread guy. The last two times these two teams have faced each other, it's been minus one. So Vegas has this as a very close games consistently. Uh, both these teams are pretty much even throughout the season. And Noah and Joe Embiid definitely hurts the 76ers, but I think it also gives you a chance to see other guys like Fultz and Ben Simmons a bit more and to see how good this team is besides Joel. And I'm sure LeBron will be watching carefully at how the 76ers play in this series. I like the 76ers in the first round. I have them in seven games. It's the only series I have that's going to be going seven games. I think just because of the fact that without Embiid, you're certainly in the chance of losing a couple extra games than you were if you had Embiid for this series. So I like the 76ers to advance, but this is certainly going to be, I think, one of the closest series uh, in the first round. And this last Eastern Conference series, you uh, were saying before, this is one that you're really looking forward to, the Pacers and the Cleveland Cavaliers. So what's the big things that you're looking at? Well, first of all, Victor Oladipo deserves a lot of credit. Ever since coming to Indiana, he's played very, very, very good basketball. And really, this Pacers team, again, kind of like the 76ers. They're young. They're hungry. They're motivated. You know, this is a team that plays very good defense, and they love to pass the ball around, too. This is not just stationary basketball where they give it to one player and they take it to the rim. Um, and, you know, and for a Cavaliers team, Again, we, we don't really know what's the deal with the Cavaliers. Have they been playing at full energy? You know, you saw that LeBron, yes, he did start all 82 games this year, but he only played 11 minutes last night. So 
Arctic Cavalier is going to go full pedal, uh, you know, pedal to the metal once the playoffs start. We all know LeBron James likes to kick it up a notch when the playoffs starts. So maybe this Cavaliers team becomes too overpowering once the playoffs starts. But I really like this matchup because the Pacers are no walk in the park. And if I'm the Cavaliers, this is probably the one team I was trying to avoid. Not because the Cavaliers are going to lose to the Pacers. I still have the Cavaliers beating the Pacers in the first round. But I feel like it's going to take a while for them to beat the Pacers. This is a series that I can see going six or seven games even. And even though I think the Cavaliers are going to come out on top, I just think it's going to be a very tiring series because the Pacers are not going to give up. They're not going to lay down flat and die. You know, the Pacers are a very competitive team. They can come at you in a lot of different ways that a lot of people are not thinking about. And again, Oladipo has really taken his game to the next level since becoming a guy in Indiana now. Um, this is a very unselfish team. And on top of that, I just think that this is going to be a very tiring series for the Cavaliers. You know, when you go into the first round, you want to end it in four games, five games max. But if you're the Cavaliers, you're not looking at a four-game, five-game series against the Pacers. You're looking at a six or seven. And especially when everybody else is so injured around you, like the Celtics, and you have a team like the Sixers and the Heat, that's going to be a very close matchup as well, too. And you have the Raptors coming up soon, too, if they beat the Wizards or if the Wizards beat the Raptors. If you're the Cavaliers, you want to be as rested as possible. You saw it last year or even when they won the title the year before, they were cruising through the east, east uh, the Eastern playoff picture and made it to the finals, what, losing only one game against the Boston Celtics in the Eastern Conference Finals? And I still truly believe they let the Celtics have that game just so they can win it on their home court in the Eastern Conference Finals. The Cavaliers love to get their series over with. This is not going to go four or five games, though. I think the Pacers are going to be in their face. Even though the Cavaliers are going to win, it's going to be a very tiring series for Cleveland. I can see this series going seven games, but I'll take the Cavs in six. You know, one of the things I'm really interested about Cleveland is they're actually going to be fully healthy in this series. Rodney Hood is coming back, and that's the first time that a lot of these guys are going to be playing together since the original trade deadline when the Cavs made all these trades to add Rodney Hood, to add Lance Nen. Um And that's something I'm looking forward to because I, I think we're finally going to see LeBron like, turn it up a notch even more than he did in the regular season because of what you said, because of the fact that, hey, if I can get this done in four or five games, I can rest a couple extra games and be well-rested for the second round when I have to play a team like Toronto or Washington or eventually if I have to play a team like the 76ers. So I think for the Cavs, they certainly have a lot of tough matchups to go uh, to get to the, way to the finals. Uh, Pacers certainly are an easy pit to get through. Uh, very good defensively. We saw them crush the Warriors a couple games ago. Although I think the Warriors might have been purposely losing a few of their final games. Uh, but, you know, I'm I'm taking LeBron easily in this series. And it's one of those ones where the Pacers are not up. If they upset LeBron, that's going to become the big shocker. But there, there's just no way I can see LeBron James getting knocked out in the first round. I have the Cavs winning this series in five. And I think only because we're seeing the Cavs finally fully healthy, uh, a part where we haven't seen the Cavs, and I think we're going to see them turn it up a notch even more. So I have the Cavs as well getting to the second round. How about in the Western Conference? We start with the Houston Rockets versus the Timberwolves, who just got in after beating the Denver Nuggets in overtime, and that was a thrilling finish to have. Where do you see these two teams? Well, the Rockets, I almost had similar in the same boat as the Toronto Raptors, right? This is a team that, with James Harden, tends to choke when it matters the most. Was it Game 7 last year where James Harden had about, what, seven turnovers in that all-important game in the first or second round against the L.A. Clippers, if I can remember correctly? Um, you know, again, James Harden just needs to get over that playoff hump. 
and, and really get out of this first round nice and easy. I think this is the right team to do it against. Don't get me wrong. The Timberwolves have been playing good basketball all year long. But the Timberwolves, too, were a team that was a fourth or fifth seed at one point this year. And then they dropped down when Jimmy Butler got Jimmy Butler got hurt and they ended up playing for that playoff lives towards the end. Now, sometimes there's this can either go one or two ways. Winning a one-game playoff scenario basically last night can either motivate you and make you red hot as a team and give you momentum, or it could really take a tr- its toll on you by playing stressful basketball and you not being prepared for the first round against a team like the Rockets. I think the Rockets have just too much firepower. They, I mean, look at it this way, Nick. This team has Chris Paul, James Harden, and then they have guys like Ryan Anderson, Eric Gordon, not to mention Gerald Green, who's been red hot ever since he came back to, I mean, ever since he got to the Houston Rockets off the bench. I mean, they have so many six-man type players. They got threes coming down from everywhere. And then you factor in Clint Capella, too. And don't get me wrong, the Timberwolves have a shot, but I think the Rockets took a deep breath last night when they saw the Timberwolves win and not the Nuggets. Because if the Denver Nuggets were playing the Houston Rockets, I was probably going to pick the Nuggets because of how great defensively they are. And I think they can stop a Houston Rockets team. But since it's the Rockets and Timberwolves, I'll take the Rockets in that series. I think they finally get out of the playoff hump. I think James Harden finally exercises playoffs demons. I think they get to the second round. I think the Rockets beat the Wolves in six. Yeah, this should be a little... Uh, as much as I want to say this could be close, the Rockets are a very good defensive team, as good as they are offen- uh, offensively. The Timberwolves, one of the worst defensive teams in the league. And... You know, Although you couldn't tell last night with Taj Gibson <laughs> defending Nikola Jokic. And, and, uh, well, yeah, it's it's a tough moment on that one. Jokic played phenomenal. Um, but the Rockets are one of the teams that take the most threes in the NBA versus the Timberwolves that take one of the least amount of threes in the NBA. So I don't know if just Jimmy Butler being back, and the Timberwolves certainly needed him back for this series. Is going to be enough. I I have the Rockets sweeping in four, and part of that's because you're seeing Chris Baldwin, Capella, and James Harden, and when the three of them have been on the court together, the Rockets have been pretty much unstoppable all season long. I think the Timberwolves are still in for a rude awakening when it comes to the Rockets in the first round. The seven seed versus two seed, and normally if you're looking at this, the Spurs and Warriors, we're thinking, okay, this has to be second round, or this has to be Western Conference uh, finals type of situation. Uh, but no, we, we're in a first round matchup between these two teams, and really almost these two injured teams. I was saying, no Kawhi Leonard, no Steph Curry. The Warriors are, are a team that's still trying to get fully in their rhythm after all the injuries that they've had for the last few weeks. And when you look at this, is there a more better, t- is there a better matchup the Warriors could have had because this seems like the perfect scenario for the Warriors in the first round to play the San Antonio Spurs. So your thoughts on that? Yeah, the Warriors got extremely, extremely lucky with how the playoff seating sh- uh, shaked out after last night's uh, Trailblazer win, especially with OKC Thunder. Because originally, going into yesterday, if the season would have ended yesterday before all the games were played, you were looking at a Warriors-Thunder first-round matchup. And how, how and you couldn't have asked for a drama-filled first-round matchup than Thunder, Kevin Durant going against you know Russell Westbrook of Golden State versus Oklahoma City. That would have been a lot better. But you look at the Spurs now and you look at the Warriors, and again, that's an easy matchup for the Warriors. Now, usually you would say, oh, but Kawhi Leonard's missing, Steph Curry's missing, even playing field, right? Not exactly, because the Warriors still have Kevin Durant, they still have Draymond Green, they still have Klay Thompson, and give credit to LaMarcus Aldridge. Aldridge has played in an all-star form all season long. 
finally back to his all-star self. But this Spurs team still has a lot of holes. Aldridge is carrying this team on his back. You know, you know, Ginobili and Tony Parker, they're aging. This team is an old team when, it all, when it's all said and done. They're not going to be able to keep up with the Warriors. And I think, like you said, the Warriors are extremely lucky that they drew the Spurs in the first round because it could have been a lot worse. And this allows the Warriors to kind of get even more healthier because we do know that Durant was dealing with some nagging injuries as well, too. You look at the t- last time these two teams faced in the playoffs. The Warriors slept the Spurs. You go to this season, the Warriors won three out of the four games against the Spurs, and the only game they lost against the Spurs was a game where there was no Clay Thompson, no Kevin Durant, no Curry. That was the one time the Spurs have beaten the Warriors since you have to go back to the regular season of last year. This is a perfect matchup for the Warriors. If they ran into the Thunder, you versus the one of the few teams in the NBA where one guy can beat you. If you run against the Jazz, the Jazz has been playing great against the Warriors all season long. I'm not really looking at that 40-point blowout, but I'm looking at overall in the season. They played very good against the Warriors consistently, home or on the road. The Jazz is one of those teams I don't think the Warriors really wanted to run into, but this is the perfect matchup for the Warriors. I have the Warriors in four in this one. And it really doesn't matter if the Warriors go in four or five. The, the Spurs are just out of whack. There's no, there's not much hope for this team right now. And you have no idea what's going to happen when it comes to Quiet Leonard and the Spurs, especially come the offseason, because that's the only thing Leonard's focusing on. And there's just a lot of problems when it comes to the Spurs, and the Warriors have the perfect first-round matchup when you consider who they're facing. The Trailblazers feature Damian Lillard. 26.9 points per game, tied for fourth most in the NBA with Giannis. The Pelicans, Anthony Davis, second most points per game, 28.1, with also 11 rebounds per game. A three versus sit seed, and only one game separating these two teams. One game pretty much separating most of the teams in the Western Conference, when you consider outside of the top two. Jose, who do we like in this one? Well, I actually like the New Orleans Pelicans this one over the Trailblazers, and again, Give credit to Damian Lillard and the Trailblazers. At one point, they went on a phenomenal win streak and got them to the third seed. They have been struggling as of late, and I think the series would have been even over quickly if DeMarcus Cousins was healthy. And again, DeMarcus Cousins' injury is huge because I think the Pelicans were a heavy favorite with DeMarcus Cousins healthy. Even without DeMarcus Cousins, though, I just can't see the Trailblazers coming up with a game plan to try and box out someone like Anthony Davis. I think this guy has too much size on some of the power forwards and centers that's the Trailblazers got. I mean, Joseph Nurkic, he's a good center, but he's no Anthony Davis. So I think that you can give me the Pelicans over the Trailblazers just because I don't see the Trailblazers having a plan to try and stop Anthony Davis. Yeah, the Trailblazers are one of the best defensive teams in the league. I, I think we're going to see them be able to stop Anthony Davis as much as they possibly can. It, it's certainly not an easy thing to do. But, yeah, I was going to say, it's easier said than done, Nick. Yeah, it's easier said than done. Um, but, but this is still a Pelicans team without DeMarcus Cousins. This is still a Pelicans team that just solely relies on Anthony Davis on a consistent basis. I think for the Trailblazers, all they got to do is play their consistent defense that they have. And, and I need to see more three-pointers from them. They haven't really made that many threes when you look at their last like 10 games played compared to the Pelicans who are more consistently putting up an average of at least 11 per game. Uh, that could be the one differential. I think if Damian Lillard and CJ are able to hit their threes, 
not really early on, but just consistently throughout the series. I think we'll see the Portland Trailblazers easily move on to the second round. I like the Trailblazers in sits in this series. And lastly, the four and the five seed, Oklahoma City Thunder and the Utah Jazz facing off against each other. This, to me, is my favorite matchup of the first round. Where do you see this series going? Yeah, it's a very interesting series as well, too. And I think a lot of it's going to rely on, is Rudy Gobert truly healthy, right? Rudy Gobert has been off and on this year with injuries. He's played the past couple of games, so it shouldn't be too much of a problem. But give me the Utah Jazz on this one. I mean, you're talking about a team that loses Gordon Hayward. If I would have told you Utah was going to lose their star player, and I'll ask you if they were going to make the playoffs the following year, I mean, that's probably borderline, right? Because, yeah, they still have Rudy Gobert. They pick up Ricky Rubio. But still, this is not the same team from last year. Uh, but this team has done a phenomenal job of bouncing back. Donovan Mitchell, who in my opinion is the rookie of the year, you know, he comes out and has a blazing season. If it wasn't for Donovan Mitchell, I don't know where the Utah Jazz would be right now. Um, again, you're facing a Thunder team who I still don't believe know who they are in terms of a team identity. You know, Russell Westbrook's going to try and do all that he can, including taking like, what, 50 shots a game and only shooting 50% from the field. Uh, can Carmelo Anthony step up when it matters the most? Can Paul George and can these guys play well together when it comes to when it matters in the playoffs right now? The Jazz are a very, very good defensive team. We've seen that all season long last year and this year as well, too. Can they stop Donovan Mitchell, Ricky Rubio, and Rudy Gobert? I don't think so. I think the Thunder struggle mightily in this one. I think you can take the Jazz in six. You know, what's interesting to me is we talked about like pressure among stars and pressure to win a series. Russell Westbrook might have the most pressure on him in this series. Yeah, there's no excuses anymore, man. They gave you two stars. And if you lose in the first round to the Utah Jazz, you think Paul George is staying? No. Well, I don't think he's staying regardless. But, 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 but no. I mean, that's an easier decision for Paul George at that point. We got knocked out of the first round. I, I, I was an all-star, and we're still nothing. There are so many different problems that like this team has upon them. And in my view, it's this is the most pressure on one player is Russell Westbrook. Because if the Thunder lose in this series, there's never going to be another t- uh, time where they're going to be able to get a top free agent star to OKC or to try and trade for another top star because you can't win with any of them at this point. I, I really like the Jazz in this series. The Jazz allow 99 points per game. They have played incredible defense, and it's not going to be easy to stop Westbrook and Paul George, but this is a very good defensive team. And Donovan Mitchell, I don't view him as the rookie of the year, although he's had he's the real rookie when you consider it on Ben Simmons, who was drafted the year before but didn't play all last season. Uh, but averaging 20.5 points per game, even more if you look at his last 10 games played, he's only had like two games under 20 to begin with. And so I, I do believe Donovan Mitchell can carry the Utah Jazz, continue to carry the Utah Jazz. He is turning out to be a top-tier player in my mind. I really like this Jazz team. Defensively, this team has been great. And I like them to beat the Thunder as well in this series. And again, this is the series I'm looking forward to the most because it has so much pressure on Russell Westbrook because it has two very good teams playing against each other. And I'm also, the Utah Jazz play a lot of really interesting games. A lot of times they keep game close. 
when they play against weaker teams, they easily blow them out. So I, I'm, I've really enjoyed a lot of the Utah Jazz games. So this is one that really has my interest in the first round. But, Jose, we're not done yet because although we did cover the first round, I want to just get your projections on how it goes further. So I think you said you had the Wizards and the Cavs in the second round facing off against each other. So where does it go from there? Well, obviously that's going to be Cavs in four. I mean, there's not, I don't have to do much analysis for that. Pretty much after the first round, even though I think it's going to be a tiring series for the Cavaliers against the Pacers, there's no Kyrie Irving on the Celtics. So I think that the Cavs are just going to streamline straight to the finals, honestly. But yeah, in the second round, I have the Cavs beating the Wizards. And then on the flip side, that means I would have the 76ers taking on the Boston Celtics. I think at that point, no Kyrie Irving. They're really going to feel it. Joel Embiid will probably be back by that point. And then the Celtics are really going to have no answer for the 76ers. So they give me the 76ers going to the Eastern Conference Finals against LeBron James and the Cavaliers. And who gets passed in that one? Well, that one's going to be an interesting series. Again, I think the 76ers are going to have a lot of fight, but they're going to show their youth there. And it's not going to be enough, obviously, to take down the Cavaliers and LeBron James. So I think the Cavaliers make it to the finals for what, like the 10th year in a row at this point? Um, again, the 76ers are going to put up a fight. I think they'll win a game or two, um, but they're going to show their youth. They're going to show that they're not ready yet, and they're going to show that Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid, again, they're just not there yet to compete with someone like LeBron James uh, of his caliber. So I'll take the Cavaliers in the finals. And for me, I'm pretty much the same. I have the Cavs beating the uh, Toronto Raptors. I think that's going to be a little bit of a closer series, uh, but there are just constantly times where we've seen like where the Raptors were leading uh, at 79 points at the end of the first half. And we saw it with the Sitzers were leading against the Cavs. And then we just saw LeBron James take it up a notch in that second half and make the comeback and either win the game or just lose. I expect the same thing, except that's going to be a full game of just LeBron James doing that. The Toronto Raptors are not going to be able to handle that. They're going to get knocked out in the second round. And it's just a little bit unfortunate because of just who they have to face in having to take on LeBron James and the Cleveland Cavaliers. On the flip side, I agree with you, the 76ers, although I have them playing the Butts, uh, the Butts are just not going to be a good enough matchup for the 76ers, and they should advance to the Eastern Conference Finals for the same one that I have with you as the 76ers and Cavs. As well, I have the Cavs winning that one. It's going to be interesting. I really like the youth and progress that the 76ers have made. And I really feel at the end of that one, LeBron James is going to hug a couple of the players and say, I'm joining you next year. Because in my mind, there's just no doubt that he's going to the 76ers. This has the best team of potential for him to really control another dynasty ahead. And from there, I have the Cavs going to the NBA Finals. So as well, let's hear the Western Conference one. So you have the Rockets and the Utah Jazz. Where does it go from there? I, that's an interesting one because as much as I would love to keep rooting for Utah Jazz, I, I find it very hard to believe um, that they're going to be able to compete offensively with the Houston Rockets. You're, you're looking at two very, very good defensive teams, and Donovan Mitchell can bring it. We all know that. But the question is, can they really keep up with an offensive team like Houston that's so offensively dominant? Threes raining from everywhere. I really can't see them beating the Rockets in a seven-game series. Um, if this is the best of five, maybe they get lucky, best two out of three. Maybe they're able to grab two games. Um, I think it's going to be a close series, but I think the the offensive gap is going to show between the Utah Jazz and the Houston Rockets. So give me the Rockets over the Jazz in that one. And that's going to leave the Warriors and Pelicans. And honestly, this is a matchup that I was very interested in seeing when DeMarcus Cousins was healthy. Because like we've said on many podcasts, I don't think the Warriors play well against teams with good front courts. 
Um, you know, the, the Warriors are an undersized team. When Kevin Durant is in the lineup, they play a very small lineup um, between Curry, Durant, Thompson, you know, um, Draymond Green. And then they don't even really have a true center sometimes. Uh, Zaza Pachulia is not going to be a good center to keep up with most of the centers in the NBA or JaVale McGee either. So to me, the Warriors are a team that gets bullied by these teams that have better centers and better power forwards, which would have been the Pelicans if DeMarcus Cousins was healthy. If DeMarcus Cousins is healthy, I'm taking the Pelicans over the Warriors. No doubt about it. I'm not afraid to say it. But with the injury to Marcus Cousins, I think this changes a lot of things. Plus, Steph Curry should be back by the second round. So you're looking at the Warriors almost getting back to full health here after what should be an easy series against the Spurs. And then they get some of their confidence back, too. And plus, just like LeBron James, how he kicks into high gear, I think this Warriors team kicks into the high gear, too, for the playoffs. And we're going to see a Rockets-Warriors um, Western Conference Finals like we all thought we would at the beginning of the year. And then from there, who gets to the NBA Finals? Well, that's going to be very interesting because then we have a potential to see Warriors against the Cavaliers yet again. However, and you're hearing it here, again, upset special. I think this is the year that the Warriors get knocked off. I don't think they're playing as consistently this year. I think the Rockets have finally put together a core that can finally take down the Golden State Warriors. I love the Houston Rockets bench, something that I thought has been a big weakness for the Warriors for a while, even though they keep proving me wrong. I think the Rockets are a little bit deeper when it comes to depth after the starters. And I think the Rockets are able to take down the Warriors, setting up a Rockets-Cavaliers finals in this year's NBA finals. All right, so I'll get to the finals with you. Uh, but I'm going to go a little bit of a different route. I do have the Rockets beating the Utah Jazz. You know, it's I, I'm Again, I'm interested in the Jazz. I'm rooting for the Jazz, but I don't think they're just good enough to take on the Houston Rockets. Like you said, seven-game series, there's just not much you can do against the Houston Rockets. Uh, for the Warriors, by then the hope is Steph Curry should be healthy. If he's not, I still think they're easy to get past Portland. Portland's you know, very good when it comes to the front court uh, when you consider Damian Lillard and CJ, but after that, there, there's no answer for guys like Kevin Durant. There's no answers for guys like Draymond Green, and, and that's been that way the entire time when they've played the Warriors this season. I don't expect the Trailblazers to get much out of that. I think the Warriors make quick use of Portland, and it sets up for the Warriors versus the Rockets. Now, I have the Warriors winning that series, and I think everyone's going to be looking forward to this series the most. I think a lot of t- people just view it just being between these two teams, uh, but for me, if Curry is healthy, the Warriors are easily going to get to the finals. Uh, they should be able to pass the Houston Rockets. Now, if Curry's not healthy, I think you've got a more realistic chance of the Rockets beating the Warriors. But I'm going to take the safe assumption Curry is going to be healthy. That's going to give me the Warriors pick for the Warriors-Cavs rematch yet again. Was this Ca- Cavs-Warriors 6? Maybe it will get that far. If, it's almost it's almost as many as the Fast and the Furious franchise at this point. It's just going to be LeBron versus Warriors. It, it, it's basically that. Uh, but at, at the end of the day, you know, I'm I won't be surprised if the Rockets pass them, but I'm not going to be the one that pits them. Uh, I'm going to stay with consistency, and consistency says the Warriors are the better team. The Warriors have the better players on the court, and the Warriors is the team I trust. Uh, there are still some playoff concerns, some some factors of like James Harden do, uh, playing extremely well, and 
again, this is going to be a, a playoff series, and Chris Paul has been healthy all year, but you still always question it when it comes to him. Uh, at the end of the day, I'm taking the Warriors versus the Cavs. So, lastly, Jose, you have the Rockets, you have the Cavs. Who's your NBA uh, pick to win it all? Well, I would love to choose the Rockets just to see some change in the world, but no, I'm going to have the Cavaliers. I think ever since that trade, this has been a different team, obviously. I think this is a younger team. They're more hungry. You had a lot of players like Jordan Clarkson, Larry Nance Jr., you know, George Hill, guys who have never been to that finals before that want to get there, and they're going to listen to anything LeBron James says and will do anything LeBron James, LeBron James wants them to do, even if it is just, hey, get out of my way and let me score just so they can get to the finals. They're going to ride LeBron James to another title for LeBron James. That'll be title number four for him, I believe, um, once he wins this one. And uh, I think, yeah, I just think the Cavaliers are going to be too much for the for the Rockets to handle. Again, I think the James Harden's demons come back up again in the finals. And, you know, it's one thing to get past a playoff series for James Harden, but it's one thing to try and come up big in the finals, which he's never really done before. I know he was there as a sixth man for the Thunder back then, but... You know, this is his team now, and I just find it very hard to believe that LeBron James is not going to be able to get past a team that's not Golden State if it's in the finals. Yeah, it's it's tough for me to pick uh, LeBron against the Warriors. It, it just out, outside of LeBron, there's not much to work with. And yes, the team is better since they made the trades, but they're not that great of a team still. They don't have anybody really to depend on other than Kevin Love and to expect that to be able to work four games for me against the Warriors. I just can't take that. Uh, I have the Warriors beating uh, LeBron James and the Cleveland Cavaliers. I think it's going to be a, a more entertaining series than it was last year. I, I think, if anything, the hope is that what the regular season showed, that the playoffs should be a lot better than they were last year as well. Uh, but ultimately, I think after this season, LeBron is going to be saying, I, I need some more stars. I need some better players to be around in order to win. And I think that's going to be noticeable in this playoffs for LeBron. He's trying to do it all on his own, and it's just not possible at the moment. I got the Warriors winning it yet again. Uh, not that I'm rooting for the Warriors. I certainly am not. I, I'd rather see a change in pace. But it's if it works, don't break, uh, don't fits it, and that's simply the Warriors right now. They're not broke, and they're still the best team to take, hands down, for me. So I have the Warriors winning it all. Uh, certainly it'll be interesting to see and as the playoffs continue to further along we'll always be talking about them uh, throughout the podcast as well through 28 and further along but we're not done with podcast 27 yet Jose because the MLB had a couple interesting games yesterday and not just the baseball game but what went on on the field after a couple hit by pitches we saw two different brawls one in the Rockies uh, that stemmed over from the day before when two Padres were hit by pitches. Nolan Arenado steps up to the plate, almost hit by a pitch, immediately charges the mound uh, towards Padres pitcher Luis Perdomo. And even the other one between the Red Sox and Yankees. So I want to ask you this first. Your thoughts on baseball brawls. Are they good or bad for the sport? Now, I mean, this is a pretty uh, again it's kind of like a black and white question here there's no yes or no there's no right or wrong answer um is it bad for the sport yeah yeah it is because you don't want players getting hurt you know let's say and and you saw it in that red sox yankees one aaron judge came steaming out of the dugout not to throw any punches 
but to stop the fight, right? Aaron Judge literally had about, what, like eight players on top of him as he was dragging them back to the dugout of a mammoth human being, and you still saw the top of his head. Aaron Judge was trying to stop the fight, but what happens if somebody lands on the back of his leg and he tears his MCL, MCL or someone lands on his Achilles and he tears it by turning the wrong way or something? Then what? Aaron Judge is out for this season and the Yankees lose their star? That's not smart. So in those aspects, it's bad for baseball. Yes, it's bad for baseball because these guys are supposed to be role models. And you don't want to teach kids in Little League to start throwing down whenever something doesn't go their way or if they're hit by a pitch by action or whatnot. But in a way, it's also kind of good for baseball because at the end of the day, these things are going to happen. You know, sometimes tempers flare in the field. Can it be avoided? Yeah, but, you know, it's going to happen. It's bound to happen as long as they can get it under control as soon as they can. I don't have a huge problem with it. For instance, the last two the last two that we saw yesterday, yeah, some punches were thrown, but it got under control rather quickly, and then players were thrown out of the game, and discussions were made after that. But, you know, so yes and no. It's good for the sport because it brings more attention to the sport, puts more eyes on the product, it gets more excitement going amongst fans, but it's also kind of bad when you look at it from injury-wise. I don't want to see any stars getting hurt in, in a senseless brawl for no reason, especially when I feel like both incidents stem from overreactions. Um, you know, if you're Nolan Arenado, you kind of have to know one's coming your way and you should wear it, especially after two Padre players got hit and they didn't say anything to it. And also the Red Sox one, I feel like Tyler Austin wore one for a bad reason. Did he slide into Brock Holt? Yeah, he did. But I also don't think Tyler Austin meant to spike Brock Holt at second base, which means I don't think Tyler Austin should have gotten hit in the first place from Joe Kelly. Did Tyler Austin kind of overreact to? Yeah, a little bit, but you know, it's just it's 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 dumb when it when brawls stem from overreactions from players' egos. But it's kind of yes and no for that question. Well, baseball's going to police itself at times, and you know, Tyler Austin doesn't have like a big name to himself. He's a younger guy, and you know, a younger guy messed up. You slid with your tweets up. You're gonna get hit. I, I think Pedro Martinez uh, tweeted out like saying, you know, uh, good move by Joe Kelly. Uh, you're supposed to do that. The only difference is I would have done it in his first at-bat that he came up. So you're supposed to look out for your players. And you're supposed to know that you're going to get hit, like you said. Um, is it good for the sport? Hell yes, it is good for the sport. Look, the NHL, I'm not going to say I love I love brawls and I love fights. But the NHL, I mean, we always look at it when there's a brawl, it's shown on SportsCenter. When it happens, every sta- every fan is up on their feet celebrating and rooting for it. Football, there's rarely does it happen. But when it does, when the Giants play the Washington Redskins, we talked about Odell Beckham and Josh Norman because of what happened. We talked about Mike Evans and the Car- when they'll play the Carolina Panthers or if A.J. Green plays against the Jacksonville Jaguars with Jalen Ramsey. Why? Because that's what occurs. The NBA has had plenty of arguments, plenty of times this season where we've seen it happen. It's great for the sports. Baseball, I mean, it, it will be talking about this through the entire season, about Yankees-Red Sox, about Rockies-Padres, the next time Luis Perdomo is pitching against the Rockies, the next time these two teams play each other, especially since there's 19 games between these teams. It, it is great for entertainment-wise, but like you said, the difference between the other three is they don't have a 90-plus mile-an-hour fastball going at them as a reason to get hit. And we've seen guys, like you just said it, uh, with Aaron Judge. Everybody remembers the Bryce Harper one because he threw his helmet and it went in the opposite direction. 
But what we forget is Mike Morris, the first baseman of that game, wound up on the DL and ended his season because I think he collided heads with, I think, Jeff Samarja or uh, one of the thir- um, a third baseman of the game. Or he, he collided at the end of, to try and stop it, and he wound up on the DL. So there's certainly a lot of safety issues on why it's not good. But I'm not going to say it's not good for the sport because it gets a lot of attention for it. Um, Yankees, Red Sox, Jose. This finally has the feel that, you know, these are the top two teams in their division, which hasn't seemed that way over the last five, six, seven years. And already 10 games into the season, we have our first brawl between Tyler Austin and Joe Kelly. Do you, does it have that sense of feeling that the rivalry is finally being renewed? You know, I'm, I'm going to say no to that question. I mean, there's a rivalry between them, obviously, because they're division rivals. The history is there between the two. And like you said, these two, arguably, these two teams could be the top two teams in the American League. Not just the American League East, but the entire American League. So from a baseball standpoint, it's there. In terms of the bad blood, though, I can't fully say that the rivalry is fully back on. Because guess what? If Tyler Austin doesn't spike Brock Holt, does Tyler Austin get hit? Does that brawl happen? I don't think so. So I don't think there's a bad blood like there used to be. There may be now because of that extra incident. But let's just face it. If Tyler Austin doesn't hit Brock Holt by accident, which I still think it was an accident, nothing, none of this happens. So I don't think the main, that, that blood-boiling heat rivalry is back. But the rivalry has always been there because these two teams, again, are at the top of their game. There was a couple of years ago where the Red Sox finished in the last place. So obviously the rivalry wasn't really on there. Then the Yankees were like kind of rebuilding for half a year when they finished like in third place. So that didn't really count either. But now that these two teams are back at the top of their game, yes, the baseball rivalry is back on. But in terms of the bad blood heat boiling over between them, I'm not ready to say yeah just yet. Although it could be because of yesterday's incident. I think it's just at the beginning stages. I think that would be the way to put it because – uh, one of the reasons the Yankees-Red Sox had so much bad blood, uh, especially in the early 2000s, is because these two teams met each other in the playoffs so many times. So it was more than just regular season meetings and fighting for division. This was, we're going to see each other in the playoffs come October to try and get to the World Series. Now, that's not necessarily always going to be the case, especially when you have teams like Cleveland and Houston, two great division teams that probably are going to be up there as well, but this certainly could be the beginning of it uh, when you consider that, you know, a lot of these guys on both of these teams are very young. We're more of like kids when watching the rivalry between the Yankees and Red Sox in the early 2000s. So I, they certainly all know the history when it comes to these two teams and to be part of it. So I, I think there's always that little uh, smirk and smile that you know that there's the possibility of something more escalating because of these, the history between these two teams, because of it's New York and it's Boston. So I, I think it can be sort of renewing, but it, it needs a little bit more to it. It's going to need some playoff matchups. It's going to need some more close series. Uh, just the two teams fighting for division may not be enough yet, but I think every Red Sox fan and Yankee fan should be happy that you know the, the rivalry is starting to feel like it's back. As always, with every podcast, we have our beard bat and our dude in Dunst of the Week. So a lot of beard bats as we look back on, what's today, April 12th. And we're going really far back for this first one, 1877. A lot of baseball ones, and we'll start with baseball. 
a catcher's mask first used in a baseball game back in 1877. So I thought that was an interesting one to kick it off, and that might be the earliest beard back one that we've looked back on in all of our podcasts. Can you imagine not using a baseball mask now with how hard these guys throw? <laughs> uh, there was a time where they didn't use hockey masks. Uh, mm. Yeah, that one as well, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's scary moments when you consider those guys that decided not to. Uh, in 1970, the Yankees dedicated plats to Mickey Mantle and Joe DiMaggio. In 1992, I had to throw this out there because it's the Mets, they lose their first three home games for the first time since 1962. Just cause. And look at us now, baby. <laughs> A little bit fake, most likely, this year to begin with. But uh, you know what? It's exciting still. And two of them in 2004. The Philadelphia Phillies placed their first game at Citizens Bank Park. And Barry Bonds of the San Francisco Giants hit his 660th career home run to tie Willie Mays for third on baseball's career list. Five days later, he would pass Willie Mays for 661. But still... 2004 on the same day had two bid ones to look at. And as always with our beard bat, we have our dude and dunce of the week. And the dude of the week, it's an easy pitch for me, Shohei Otani. Talked about going 2-0, 18 strikeouts, just over a 2 ERA in his two starts. And he was even perfect for six innings in his last start. Oh, yeah, I forgot to mention, he also hit three home runs, eight RBIs, and is batting 364 in his first 22 at-bats. He has really kicked off, uh, to really, to everyone's surprise, to start off Yeah, what was, uh, what was what was those scouts saying? Something about he should be in single A, if I can recall reading that? <laughs> he was batting 111 in spring, and now, I mean, he's he has taken off his... Their, That's their why ace. you can't buy too much into spring training, my friend. Yeah, he has taken off as their ace. And one of their top hitters right now. And, Jose, who is our dunce of the week? Well, our dunce of the week goes to the ever-infamous Conor McGregor from the UFC. If you don't know what happened with Conor McGregor, you can pretty much Google it because it's all over the place. Um, he was in so much trouble. So, apparently, <laughs> well, not apparently, we know he did it. He attacked a tour bus full of MMA fighters in the Barclays Center garage because he was furious that Khabib Nagwadov, I don't know if I said his last name right, that Khabib, who is now the lightweight champion of the UFC, was confronting one of Conor McGregor's teammates, asking him where Conor McGregor was, since McGregor's been absent for a year plus in the UFC. Apparently, word got out to McGregor. He rallied up a team from Ireland, and they flew down to Brooklyn, New York, to try and confront Khabib, in which he picked up a dolly, which is a very heavy metal instrument used to transport boxes, and threw it at the tour bus, where a glass shattered and cut up the face of Michael Chiesa, and also cut the orbital bone of fighter Ray Borg in his eyeball. The altercation led to three fights being canceled, including the main event being altered a couple times because of injuries to begin with. So Conor McGregor, not only are you the dunce of the week, but you are also a loser, my friend. And at one point, there's also a warrant, around, a warrant out for his arrest here in New York City, which is actually kind of funny when you're from New York and you're reading that Conor McGregor's wanted in your own city uh, to be arrested. Conor McGregor eventually turned himself in, his visa was not revoked, and he was able to fly back to Ireland um, after posting bail, of course, because he's a very, very rich man. But the point is, though, is that not only is Conor McGregor the dunce of the week, but so is the UFC. Because low-key, there was a great article, but UFC and Dana White, you're responsible for creating the monster that Conor McGregor is, my friend. And the UFC deserves a lot of blame for letting Conor McGregor do whatever the hell he wants. And this was just another step in McGregor's mind thinking, hey, I can do whatever the hell I want because I'm Conor McGregor. So the UFC... 
Conor McGregor, you guys ruined UFC 223 in Brooklyn, which was supposed to be a stacked card. It wasn't anymore because the three fights being canceled against Conor McGregor. So both of y'all are the dunce of the week. Now, Isaiah, you watch a little bit more UFC than I do, but do you think he is done with UFC? You know, that's a very interesting question. I mean, the guy made a boatload of money off the Mayweather fight to the point where he probably doesn't need to fight again. I mean, he already has a bunch of endorsements. You see him in the Budweiser commercial sometimes. So he's pretty much set for life where he doesn't need to fight for the UFC again. I think the more question is, does he want to fight with UFC again? I think we only see Conor McGregor back in the octagon for two reasons. Either one, Khabib talked his way into a fight with McGregor. Because one thing that we know about Conor McGregor is that he doesn't like to be out-trash-talked, right? So if Khabib can keep pissing Conor McGregor off to the point where he can get Conor to fight him, because Connor doesn't want to be outdone. Connor wants to be, be considered the best fighter in the world, but no one's going to consider him the best lightweight or fighter in the world until he fights Khabib. Until we see that fight, no one's going to consider McGregor the best. So McGregor might just be frustrated enough to fight Khabib one more time and retire after that. Or, which this one I think is a more possibility, there is a possibility Mayweather could still fight in the octagon. UFC would do it in a heartbeat to make a boatload of cash. Everybody would be watching. Both of them would be very, very rich again. And I think Mayweather, not Mayweather, McGregor would not turn down a giant payday to fight Mayweather in the octagon, especially when McGregor knows he could probably win this fight this time. I'm, I'm not sure. I, I figured after the, uh, the Mayweather boxing match, McGregor was done. Uh, this, this may have been the, the last needle to break the uh, camel's back in the sense, or it's just, it's a lot to take on. And to have to deal with for silly reasons. And I don't know if UFC wants to keep putting up with that. If he's still the star attraction that he is, UFC very varies when it comes to that popularity. So it's tough to see. Um, and lastly, Shoei Otani, are you bought into can he be a top uh, pitcher and hitter in your mind? Well, you know, a top pitcher, I think definitely. Uh, I think, you know, it's still April, so it's still early. But I think his stuff is translating very well. And you're noticing that the Angels are kind of trying to keep his Japan rhythm. You know, you notice that he's pitching almost every sixth and seventh day. Not exactly every five days. So maybe that's a formula that the Angels are trying out to not only get his bat into the lineup, but also to kind of keep his rhythm going like he did in Japan. We see a lot of Japanese pitchers struggle when it comes to the five-day rotation thing because they are used to only pitching once a week in Japan. So it'll be interesting to see if they keep that formula up. Um, Hitting-wise, I could see him dropping off just a little bit as the season goes along. Again, it's still very early, but I think it's it's probably more probable that he'll be, he'll be more successful pitching than he is hitting. I have a question for you, Nick, though, before we end the podcast. Let's do it. Let's say the Angels get into the wild card game, and Otani continues to have a great season hitting and pitching. Do you put him to pitch, or do you put his bat in the lineup? I think you may consider doing both. Yeah, can and you do that, though? Can you forfeit the DH spot to put the Otani in there? Yeah, you can forfeit it, but, I mean, you're setting yourself behind the eight ball when you have to take him out eventually. Ah, um, so here we go. <laughs> yeah, it, uh, by far, he's their best pitcher. Uh, but it will be interesting for me, because uh, both of his starts have been against the Oakland A's, and I'm not going to bash Oakland. Yeah, but you want to see him against more skillful competition. Yeah, like I'm looking forward to his net start against Kansas City. Again, not a top-tier team, but it doesn't have to be. It just has to be a team you haven't haven't faced yet. Like he starts throwing a perfect game against a team that he just faced once a moment ago. His stuff looks very good. He looks like he's going to be a phenomenal pitcher like everyone expects to. 
I don't expect the batting average to be there this year, but you know, three home runs, we're we're seeing some power from him that we didn't expect. We're we're seeing a lot of ability from Otani that I don't think a lot of people expected. I think that's a great surprise and a great benefit for the Angels to have. And with that, thank you for listening to podcast episode 27 of Sarasso and the Beard. Once again, I'm Nick Sarasso. And I'm the Talking Beard, Jose Rivera. And enjoy all the playoffs for the NBA. We'll be talking about it later on throughout the podcast coming up, covering the second round as well. You heard our pits on who we have for these games. Uh, So certainly enjoy them. And as always, thank you for listening to Sarasso and the Beard podcast, episode 27. That's the sound of a day starting out right. I hear it every time my new Toro Z-Master 4000 Zero Turn starts up. With big-time horsepower, giant voodoo track tires, turbo force deck, and comforts like MyRide and USB ports, it's fully loaded to mow all day long while delivering that signature Toro cut. From start to finish, this beast means business. Get your Z-Master 4000 today. Toro. Count on it.